Diabo Dar. Welcome to another short news flash podcast from PortugueseSoccer.com. My name is John Neves, dropping episode number 43 on Saturday, October the 17th. Uh, wasn't planning on doing one this weekend. Was going to do one uh, during the week, but a lot of things happened this weekend and wanted to give my opinion on it. Uh, so here I am. Glad to be back. I hope everybody that's listening to this is doing well. And, uh, you know, dealing with, of course, these pandemic uh, times. Um, but let me get good going first, like I always do, and talk about the schedule. Uh, we are in the middle of week four, Jornada Quatro. Um, tomorrow's uh, Sunday, Benfica. That's the match that everyone's going to be watching. Benfica's playing at Rio Ave. Benfica, if they could take the three points, have a chance to go five points up on their eternal rival, Porto. Uh, you know, JJ is going to have the players motivated. That is a very big, big thing to play for tomorrow. Uh, also tomorrow in Liga play, I think another match worthy of paying attention to is Santa Clara. He's going to be playing at Passos de Ferreira. Santa Clara right now is in second place. Uh, Daniel Ramos is doing a fantastic job. The first time he was with Santa Clara, he did so well that he was hired away to Meritimu. And he's moved around, and now he's back in Santa Clara again, and they're off to another great start. And uh, they're playing at Pastors de Ferreira, and again, Santa Clara looking to stay uh, in second uh, place. Uh, and, uh, and of course, we have European competition. The group stages are back this week, uh, not counting qualifiers. The last time we played in Europe was, of course, back in February. And unfortunately, the way that a lot of the teams were eliminated, the month of February was very ugly the way it went down. But it starts all over this uh, Wednesday. Uh, gets going on Wednesday. Champions League Porto is going to be playing at Manchester City. Obviously not going to be a, uh, a very easy match. Never is when you play uh, one of the European giants. Um, good news for Porto, though, is Sergio Oliveira and Pep. Uh, of course, we know earlier this week, Cristiano Ronaldo tested positive. And the photo that I got to tell you, made its way around the world. I saw it on uh, the news, Sky News, CNN, Fox. You know, Cristiano is, you know, he's an international story. And, of course, the photo of Cristiano with the selfie at lunch, uh, you know, had a team meal. And, of course, Sergio Oliveira and Pep were very close to him at that meal. Um, that, uh, you know, increased a lot of the concern among the Porto fans whether or not they would be available for the Classico. But uh, both players, have, of course, have tested negative, thank thankfully. And both of them uh, are going to be going with the team uh, to England. England does have, although they ask people that go to the country to quarantine, there is a sports exception for teams training and playing matches. So Porto is going to need those two players because that is going to be a very, very big match. Uh, and then Thursday, the two teams left in Europa. Benfica is going to Poland to play Lech Poznan. Sorry if my Polish pronunciation is awful. I know I got a few listeners from uh, Poland, but uh, it's not an easy name to say. Uh, and I probably didn't say it right, so sorry. Uh, but Benfica will be out there in Poland, and then Braga will be at home. That's the only Portuguese team this week that will be at home, and they'll be playing AEK Athens of Greece. And uh, one bit of news that came out today, very good news, is that the Federation announced after talking to Portugal health authorities that uh, matches, uh, the first match, home match, 
for Porto Benfica and Braga in European competition, which in this case this week is Braga first, uh, they'll be allowed to have 50% of fans in their stadium. So that's uh, very good news. And uh, I'll talk a little bit more about the fan in stadiums topic uh, a little bit later in this uh, podcast. But obviously the big thing to talk about today is the Classico and what made me want to do this uh, podcast. And the way I see today's podcast is very simple. I think Sporting gained a very good point and Porto lost two points. Uh, These are two teams right now in two different places. Uh, To start with Sporting, uh, Sporting right now, a young team brought in some experience to play with that young team. I think Ruben Amorim has done a great job. Europa elimination aside, he has really done a great job. They've got seven points now, and they still have one match uh, to play. Uh, later on this year, uh, makeup match, of course, the, uh, the week one match that was postponed against Gilles Vicente because of the COVID cases. Um, but the bottom line is they're starting off the Liga very well. And if you've been following sporting, and I know I got a lot of sporting followers, you know, of course, that sporting usually in the fall, they tend to uh, fall apart. They start to lose really bad matches. Last year, they were eliminated by Alverca in the Portuguese Cup in November. And uh, this is the time of the year when things start to kind of fall apart. But tonight, they get the uh, draw. Uh, Nuno Santos starts it off with a goal early. Porto comes back. Uh, I thought Porto maybe was a little bit better of the team today. They came back, scored two goals uh, behind Uribe and Corona, make it two to one. Then there's a controversial PK that was overturned, as well as the second yellow and Zadu of Porto. And then the second half, I thought for the most part, was kind of even. Uh, but then, of course, Vieto, um, you know, scores the the tying goal, and it is just a huge, huge point for Sporting psychologically. Because the other day, Ruben Amorim in his press conference said that you know he's got young players; they need to get experience. But he also mentioned the importance of getting good results to win back the confidence of the public and the fans. And I think today this goes a long way you know, toward, uh, you know, doing that. And, you know, I think if you're sporting right now, like I said, I, I just think, you know, that you have to be, you know, very happy. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity ahead. Um, you know, unfortunately, you do not have European competition, but they do have the Tasso de Portugal, which they've had some success in. If they finish in the top four of the League Cup by the end of November, they'll play in the League Cup competition. And uh, they've got opportunities. So I think if you're a sporting fan, um, you know, you should be very happy right now where you stand and the fact that some of the younger players like Mateus Nunes, Nuno Mench, you know, some of these players now are all getting valuable experience. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I just think if you're sporting, you should be happy. Now, the other uh, the other story, of course, is Porto. And, you know, Porto have dropped five points in their last two matches. Um, when you talk about the Maritimo match first, um you know, everyone remembers the day before a lot of talk of anti-Jugu. Kose Son talked about it in his pre-match presser. And to Maritimo's credit, they came in, they took the three points, and, you know, Lito Vidigal felt very strongly about his team and, you know, about how unfair it was with the anti-Jugu. And, you know, a lot of people, when a big three loses, say it's more of Porto's fault. But the reality was especially after Porto came back to tie it 2-2, Maritimo came back and scored another goal. And um, I think that match is probably more of giving credit to what Maritimo did than uh, Porto. But Porto, 
you know, the thing I wonder about Porto is, you know, they have a number of players that were moving on and that happened the next day after the loss. And you can't help but wonder psychologically when a team knows they're going to have changes like that, if it messages, messes with the psychology of a team. Uh, I'm certainly not saying that the players didn't give it their all. They did, just like Ruben Diaz did, you know, playing his last game from Benfica before he went to play, you know, transferred to Man City. But, you know, players are human beings too. And, and you just kind of wonder if, in the middle of all this stuff that's happening, if that messes uh, with the team. Um, I've never been a big fan of a transfer window in Portugal closing after a weekend of play-ins. I've always thought it should be before. Um, I've heard managers talk about this in their press match, pre-match press conferences in the past about how they just don't like that, whether or not you know a player is going to be around after this match when they're trying to develop their systems. But um, nevertheless, it was a great win for Maritimo. A very bad last for Porto. Then you go into the international break and Porto uh, lose players to the national team break. Then they come back. Conceição did not have as much time as Sporting did to get his team ready. Uh, they play this match now and you know they have all these transfers. Players, Some players have left like Delish and Danilo and then they've got some of these new players in and uh, the new player that did play today, reinforcement was Adu. You know, he had a did a great job with that one assist. Um, but then, um, you know, Porto, uh, you know, they have all these other reinforcements that come in later. But, you know, Porto, you could kind of say, is a sort of still a work in progress um, in terms of trying to put together the team and to fit in all these players. But, uh, you know, Porto had their chances today to win and to walk away with the three points. And at the end of the day, you know, Sporting deserves a lot of credit for, like I said, winning a point, whereas I think Porto loses, you know, uh, three points, and now they've lost five in the last two matches. And what's really dangerous about this situation for Porto is that now you don't have that buffer. You don't have that room to make a mistake in the next few weeks because if Benfica make it a reality uh, later on today, Sunday, and beat Riuav, you know, you're down five points, and, you know, Porto, though, admittedly, I think has had a harder schedule to start the season. You know, Benfica, you know, obviously they're in a position now where they're five points ahead and they're going to be motivated. So that's the hard part about this for Porto is the fact that now they've lost these points and now they're not in a position and don't have that room to mess up. Now, it's important to understand that the last two league of champions were each down by seven points in January and that team still went on to win. Um, I remember about, I think it was four or five years ago, Rui Vitoria and Benfica were down eight points in uh, in December. Uh, there was a match against Nacional that had been postponed because of fog and rain. They moved that match to December. 0-0 draw in the Chupana. And everybody wanted Rui Vitoria out. Uh, and obviously he survived. And that season he went on to win the league. So, you know, being down this early is, is not the end all. But I think to be down five points in the middle of October, I think that's the worrying trend here. And uh, again, like sporting, being in the position now where they have a position to avoid what they've done the last few years, where having the, these bad falls and they just start to lose and drop all these points, um, they have an hour opportunity to correct that. And Porto, you know, they've got some, you know, they, they, they're they going to have it tough now. Sconsi-Son's uh, got to try to work some of these new players into the lineup. Um, he talks a lot about playing the Porto way. You know, the city has a certain attitude and that players, 
you know, the, 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 you know, the, basically the club represents the city that way and their style of play, their hustle. Um, and, uh, you know, he talked about how some players on the team still need to learn that. Uh, but again, it's a team in transition, but the problem with a team in transition is if you can't afford to lose any points, then that just makes the job that much harder uh, for Porto. So two different stories right now. I think if you're sporting, you are happy. And I think if you're uh, Porto right now, you know, needless to say, you, you know, you're a little bit nervous um, and things don't get any easier going to Manchester City on Wednesday uh, to play a very, um, you know, important match, uh, you know, there. Uh, moving on to Befica, like I said, you know, a chance to go five points up today. And the guy that's going to be the biggest fan today, and he's probably always their biggest fan, but even more so today, is going to be Luis Felipe Vieira. I've said many times that when you are president of a big club in Portugal, um, or most clubs, but, you know, here my perspective is big club, um, your other sports could win championships, basketball, futsal, roller hockey, handball. They could have European success. Um, but at the end of the day, you are judged on the results of your first division team and the success of your first division team. And obviously, we know what's been going on with Benfica eliminated from the Champions League, the way the last season ended with Bruno Lage and an interim manager, Verissimo, the money that was spent this summer all the money that they brought in, um, all the players that they brought in. They did manage to sell Ruben Diaz to help the uh, finances. But, um, you know, Benfica now has a chance, you know, to try to win Europa and to try to get this five-point lead today. And the one thing that Benfica has that Porto doesn't have right now is that while Porto has some of these new players they're going to try to bring in, you know, Tareme has been with Porto for a while and he hasn't really played a whole lot yet. Um, not a long time that he's been with them, but he's been with them already a little while and just hasn't seen any action. Benfica's advantage in their situation is that a lot of their players that they have have been around the team now already for at least a month. You know, a lot of them were bought, you know, a few weeks ago. They weren't necessarily bought, you know, on the final weekend of the uh, transfer uh, deadline. So Benfica is an opportunity here to be in a very good shape this week. They have a chance to go five points up. They have a chance to go to Poland, and I don't admit to knowing anything about this team they're playing. I'm sorry, but one would say on paper that Benfica, with the history they've had, you know, going to several Europa finals, um, you know, that you know Benfica on paper among the punters would be the favorite, and I think that that's going to be it. So this is a chance for Benfica this week to a build the lead in the Liga and get off to a good start uh, with regards uh, to the Europa group uh, stages. And I think that's, you know, going to be very important this week. And if you're Luis Felipe Vieira, you have an election in less than two weeks. And obviously if your first division team does well, that could only help you because the last thing you need right now is a losing streak before people are going to be voting, whether or not you'll be able to finish out, you know, what you have said is your last four year mandate. So, you know, when you're a big club like Benfica, when you're a big club like Porto, when you're a big club like Sporting, there's always storylines and the storyline right now for Benfica this week is opportunity. They have opportunities to do some things this week and to put themselves in a much, much better uh, position. Uh, moving on to the national team, um, what a great week it was. Uh, first off, obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo aside, you know, best wishes to him. But, you know, the national team, though, is in good position right now with the League of Nations. Uh, and, you know, 
big match next month against France that will pretty much decide that group. It's pretty much obviously between Portugal and France. Uh, Portugal has an opportunity now again. Portugal is the defending European champion. Portugal is the defending League of Nations champion. So there's a lot of things for Portugal to play this year right through next summer with the national team. Again, I'll use the word opportunity, and that's going to be a humongous match. It'll be played at the Stadio de Luz, and I think that uh, that's going to be huge. And, uh, you know, uh, the national team just has so much talent. You know, Ruben Diaz joining Manchester City, you know, yet another starter, you know, another player playing at that level of competition in the Premier League. And Portuguese, you know, the national team is much must-see TV. You know, they're, uh, they're doing, you know, they, the players, and they're just doing well. And, you know, the one guy that, to me, is one of the best managers of all time, I'm not quite ready to say he's better than José Mourinho, but to me, he's right up there, and that's Fernando Santos. Um, he's managed all the big clubs in Portugal. He had, like, good success with Greece, his national team, and obviously we know what he's done in Portugal, and he recently became the most... Uh, you know, he managed, he's managed the most matches for Portugal. He set that record beating Scolari. And right now it's just such a feel-good thing with the national team. I think we all should be very proud about the situation we have. And, uh, you know, uh, COVID situation aside, I, I think, uh, you know, things are very well uh, with the national team. Um, Want to get back to talking about fans in the stands. And as I mentioned um, at the beginning of this podcast, of course, the Fifteen percent fans will be allowed at the, uh, you know, the uh, European matches uh, starting with Braga this week. Liga Liga teams still aren't able to put fans in the stands, even if it's 10, 15 percent. Um, Santa Clara did, but that's because Santa Clara is governed by the Azores, and the regional government of the Azores allowed them to have a, up to a thousand fans. I think they wound up having like eight hundred. It's something when they played Gil Vicente uh, before the international break. Um, but, uh, in Portugal, the Liga still is not allowed to have fans and the test is going to be, uh, with these European competition matches and, you know, the clubs are not happy. And one of the things that I don't understand, and, and, you know, I want obviously everyone to be safe. Um, and, you know, I've had different opinions on my podcast and, you know, right now, because of the way the, 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 the cases are really rising in Portugal, almost 2000 now, a day the last few days one wonders whether it's a good idea to have any fans in the stands but on the other side of it this is an outdoor sport they're not playing indoors outdoors don't seem to be as problematic as indoors and you know if you have a stadium with 50,000 seats and you only have 5,000 fans then you know plenty of people uh, could be spread out I was actually watching a podcast um, it's a Danish couple that lives in Lisbon the, the name of their YouTube channel. I think it's something high life or something. Uh, if you want to really know, DM me on uh, Twitter and I'll find the name, but they're essentially a Danish couple that lives in Lisbon and uh, they went, they go to a lot of Nash, uh, Portugal Liga matches. They've actually done some tremendous videos about going to uh, football soccer matches in Portugal. And they were at the match in Alvalade against Sweden. And uh, this is a couple, they're not married, they're living together. And while they're filming and doing their you know, pot, you know, they're a YouTube episode and, you know, the episode about going to see Portugal, Sweden. Um, one of the security officers in Alvalade went up to them and asked them to separate because everyone was supposed to have two or three seats in the middle of them. So 
when you play in these big stadiums, I guess what I'm trying to say, there is a plenty of opportunity to be spread out. But for some reason, Liga matches don't are not part of these test cases. And, you know, Portugal, Sweden play in uh, Alvalade on Wednesday. And then you had the Classico today in Alvalade and you can't have anybody in the stands, but yet there was 5,000 people in the stands on Wednesday. So there are some people that don't like the way that, you know, Alvalade could do this, but they can't do that. And I think that's a very fair argument to make. But at the end of the day, the health authorities, you have to kind of rely on them. You have to trust them that they know what they're doing. I like to think, especially as long as cases go down, that eventually you will see maybe like 5,000 matches at one of the big three stadiums and maybe 1,000 or 2,000 at the smaller stadiums. But that's provided that the cases start to go down. And Europe right now is, you know, the cases are rising big time. Um, obviously, that's been the case in North America. Um, you know, I comp- I, compl- I complimented Canada the other day, and then I had a few people from Toronto DMing me, including someone from Quebec, who were telling me that, you know, there's some issues starting to grow in Canada as well. So I, I was sad to hear that, although not as big as other places, but happening, you know, especially after they, you know, they closed their borders and everything to the American side. But, um, you know, Portugal right now, it, it's kind of a scary time. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, if in a month from now they get this under control, I think you will be able to see fans at Liga matches. Um, if not, then, you know, clubs are going to start to lose a lot more money than they already are. I think the big three lose something like over 20 million. So this is not very good. And as a matter of fact, uh, Formula One has a big race in Portugal. Um, I think I read they sold like 30,000 tickets and it's looking like those 30,000 fans won't be able to be there. It might be, I didn't read what the number was, but I'm guessing maybe five or 10,000. So people that bought tickets and reserved hotels, you know, might be out of luck. And, And how do you, pick out of those 30,000, the five that get to go to the match, or let's say it's 10,000, you know, how do you pick one out of every three person fairly? So I'm glad I don't work in the ticketing business for that one. But, um, you know, right now there is test cases going on in Portugal and that's somewhat good news, you know, with terms of European competition, but Liga matches, except for at least Santa Clara. Uh, and I'm not sure if Santa Clara's next match, which by the way is against sporting in uh, the Azores, if they'll have any fans there, we'll find out soon enough. But that's the story right now. No two Liga matches. And hopefully in a month from now, that'll change because um, the Benfica match against Standard Liège is on the 29th. And if that's a test case, then chances are it won't be until November before they decide what they want to do with you know more matches. Um, I'm going to wrap it up here. A uh, very funny story with me. Um, I have collected a Cardenos de Bola for each of the last 21 years. And that streak is in jeopardy this year because... Obviously, what's going on with COVID and not being able to go to Portugal. And I don't know if any of you tried to send any mail or packages to Portugal or if you've had any relatives send packages from you in Portugal to wherever you are. But, you know, it takes a long time. And I'm waiting for my Cardenas de Bola. It's been about five weeks now and I haven't received anything. I know Obola just started selling theirs on uh, Friday. They waited for after the transfer window to print theirs. But I know the other newspapers have been around for a few weeks now, although theirs is not as updated. But um, I may have a local opportunity to buy the Abola, Cardenas de Abola. But, uh, you know, it's my tradition. And I've got the streak of 21 years going, and I've got it up on my wall, all 21 previous year, you know, yearbooks, uh, or I call it uh, preseason previews, that I think Jorgo Abola and Record do a great job of. And I usually alternate every year. I don't necessarily buy all three. 
Uh, some years I only buy what's available because not all three of them come on at the same time. But a uh, very funny story. And here's hoping in the next week or two that I finally get mine because I want the paper copy. I don't want the electronic copy. I want the paper copy. So wish me luck that I get it uh, very soon. Um, folks, that wraps up episode 43. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Always enjoy the comments. And I love how this podcast is growing in numbers. And glad that I was able to put one together tonight. And I'll be back next week. Take care, everybody. Please stay safe. Wear a mask. And I'll talk to you soon. Ciao, everybody. Thank you.